when Evan was like two and a half years old, we f- let him start watching his first show, his, you know, the first glimpses of TV. And the first thing we had was this old VHS tape of, uh, of it was Sesame Street Silly Songs. And it was so funny. I mean, I, it, it was like uh, Ernie singing, like, put down the ducky, you know, and stuff like that. And there's a bunch of songs like this, like uh, somebody dancing around singing, like, one banana, two banana, you know. I don't know. It was really funny. And all these, like, different styles of songs. Well, Evan, just this tiny little guy sitting next to me, you know. And um, I don't know if he should have been watching TV yet or not. I don't know. But he's, he's watching it, and uh, all of a sudden he starts giggling. At something that it's funny and he's like getting into the tune and then he starts like full-on belly laughing you know and he's like busting up laughing and then I'm laughing and for the rest of the show we're sitting here laughing together the first time he ever watched anything and we're just laughing and honestly it was like it was like 45 minutes of he and I just laughing the whole time this is great bonding experience with my son you know like early on and it's it was a wonderful memory the other another thing we let him watch early on was praise baby have you ever heard of these praise baby dvds they're like dvd that has like praise music going through it and then there's like basically pictures of nature and pictures of kids playing on a playground and stuff like this and uh he used to love it you know and he'd start to sing the songs and he'd just be kind of mesmerized with the music and eventually those songs kind of became anthems of our family and still today they're the songs we sing together all the time because he learned them you know and you know entertainment i don't know about you there's some great value in entertainment it really is, if used in the right way. How many of you probably, if you look back, have experiences where some sort of entertainment where you engaged with friends or with family or with that special someone, and it meant something to you, and you have treasured memories around entertainment? I mean, how many of you have those kind of memories? Is there anybody who doesn't? I mean, I would imagine we all do to, to some degree. But entertainment can also be pretty dangerous, can it? I mean, there's all sorts of things in entertainment that are also dangerous and that if used inappropriately, uh, like many of God's blessings, if used inappropriately, it can go south. You know, it can, it can, get, it, it, it can head downhill quick. And uh, that's the way it is with entertainment, too. I mean, it, it, can get, it can get pretty hairy and not really help us out. And talking about God's design for entertainment is, to me, a little funny because I, I don't know that God actually designed entertainment Um, But I think he does have a design for how we engage it. Uh, You know, God didn't necessarily design money either. And yet he talks a ton about how we're to engage our resources. And so the principles in Scripture speak profoundly to how it is that we should engage entertainment. So in this house, in the design of of the home that God has placed us in with all these principles, I'm not sure that in this he wrote in exactly the way entertainment was supposed to be, but he did write in to this home how we're to interact with each other, what we're allowed to bring into our minds, and how we're to spend our time and our resources, and all sorts of things like that, and, and that affects very much how we engage in entertainment. And so today, as we look at that, uh, you know, I want to look at the scriptures. Now, the scriptures are pretty quiet on the specific topic of entertainment. It does come up. And there are a few stories that talk about people engaging in entertainment. And I want to take some of them and just look at some of the parallels between them. It's very limited. Uh, The first one is in uh, Judges chapter 16. And in Judges chapter 16, we're in the middle of the story of Samson. You know, Samson... I picture Samson, some scrawny little guy. Yeah, you know, like he's about, you know, just real wiry, thin, doesn't look very strong, and just crazy, crazy strong, you know, because it's, it's miraculous strength. 
This isn't, like, it wouldn't be as miraculous if he looked like Goliath. You know, then it wouldn't be the power of God. This is like just some guy who's like, you know, looks like he's never worked out a day in his life or whatever, and he's just, but he can just throw stuff around. And he torments the Philistines ruthlessly. And what's more, that's his job. Man, that's kind of a cool job. Anyway, that's a little messed up. Anyway, he, um, he torments the Philistines all the time, but then, you know, his girlfriend is there, and he wasn't supposed to be with her, and he was, and then the Philistines find out how to manipulate information out of him through her, and they find out he has this covenant relationship with God, and he's not supposed to get his hair cut. It's part of the vow. He gets his hair cut. Strength is gone. They take him down to the dungeon, take his eyes out. He's blind, and now all of a sudden he has no strength anymore. Well, a little later, they're throwing this huge party. And, you know, they're all getting drunk and having a grand old time. And they're like, and they're in the temple of their God, worshiping. And they're looking for something to to entertain them, they say. So let's get Samson and bring him up here and let him stumble around in front of us and entertain us. The next story is in Judges chapter 5. And in Judges, or not Judges, sorry, Daniel chapter 5. And Daniel and his buddies, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the other Israelites have been taken off into captivity in Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has since expired, and his son Belshazzar has taken over the throne. And, uh, you know, as, as wealth and power continue to go generation to generation, you just see the clarity of people's minds starting to slip and their resolve, even... Even in evil kings and that type of thing, they, they just get less and less effective, you know. And Belshazzar, he just seems to be kind of like a, a party animal by the end. He's had too much wealth. He doesn't have, and he, he does, he's not very focused. He's not doing a great job. But he's just partying with his friends. And they're having this one big party, all sorts of entertainment, just kind of the world's all out there doing whatever it's doing. But we're in here having a great time. And all of a sudden, oh, I forgot to change the slide for you here. All of a sudden, there's, a, uh, there's writing on the wall. This is a picture of it see the writing on the wall, there's a hand that just shows up. And the hand just shows up. There's no arm, no body, just a hand shows up on the wall and it starts to write on the wall. Kind of stops the party, you know? The whole party kind of changes. The next story, the, the third one I want to talk about is in, is in uh, Matthew chapter 14. And this is where King Herod, another one of those kings, you know, he's in the time of Jesus and a a wicked king and he decides to throw a party and he wants to show off his wealth. They probably got out the caviar and the fine wines and have all the dignitaries coming over and showing off, having a great time. And in in the middle of it, they see he has his, his brother's wife is now kind of his wife. It's, it's kind of messed up. And he, Herodias is her name and her daughter apparently can dance pretty well and so they want some entertainment and so they say come out and dance for us and she starts dancing and she must have had some great moves because they were all extremely impressed you know and they were so impressed as a matter of fact that Herod says I'll give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom and this is where you really start to see the parallel in these stories see in all three of these stories what's happening is is those who are engaged deeply in entertainment they have no idea what's about to happen no idea what's about to happen. And in this situation, what happens is, is her mother, Herodias, she's all upset at John the Baptist because John the Baptist doesn't condone this relationship that she has with Herod appropriately because this is her brother-in-law, you know? And he is condemning it, and they have John in prison be- to keep him quiet, and yet Herod actually respects John and doesn't want to hurt him. But 
when he offers to give up to half the kingdom to Herodias' daughter, his stepdaughter, she comes back and says, we want John's head. And so they get it. And he gets put in a situation where this man who Jesus says up to this point was the most righteous man to ever walk on the face of the earth up till him. That's what he said about John the Baptist. Herod has to make a decision to offer. Can you imagine? And he has no idea it's coming. He's in the middle of having this great party with his friends, wonderful entertainment. And all of a sudden, he has to make the most tragic decision he may have ever had to make. And it just devastates the world. You know, rocks the world. And it rocks his life. Belshazzar. What happens with him after the writing on the wall? He gets all of his... his, magicians and his uh, wise men and all of the people to come together. And he's like, those three words that are written on the wall, if you'll tell me what they mean, I'll give you anything. And none of them can figure it out. And then the queen mother, she comes and she says, hey, I remember there was uh, this guy, Daniel, who served King Nebuchadnezzar, your dad. And he interpreted all these crazy dreams and everything. You should get him in here and see if he can do anything. So they come walking in and and Belshazzar says to Daniel, he's like, I'll give you this, this, and this if you can tell me. And he's like, you can keep your stuff. I don't want your stuff. But I'll tell you what it means. The first word, the first word says your days have been numbered and they've come to an end. The second word, it says that you've been tried and you've been found wanting. And the third word, It says that your kingdom has come to an end and it's being taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, Belshazzar met his end at the hand of King Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians. He had no idea what was coming. Having a great time. Next thing you know, the last story is where we started with Samson. And Samson's in the, in the temple of their God and he's stumbling around the entertainment and then they, they chain him to those two pillars. And he asks God for strength one last time. And as they're having a great time laughing at him, the very object of their entertainment becomes also the object of their death. As he pulls the pillars down and as the whole temple collapses and everyone inside meets their end. It's amazing. These are the pictures of entertainment in Scripture. The pictures of entertainment. The the common denominator is that those who were engaged in this entertainment were oblivious to what was about to take place to them. The definition of entertainment goes like this. Something affording pleasure, diversion, or amusement, especially a performance of some kind. I want to read it again. Something affording pleasure, diversion, or amusement, especially a performance of some kind. This is what... Entertainment has to offer us. There's the grind of our life. There's the routine of our life. There's the struggles of our life. And then you have a diversion, you know? Over here, you know, we we do something fun that just kind of gets our minds off of it so we can focus on something else, you know, and and clear our heads. It's It's a diversion, a distraction. That's its intention. The intention of entertainment is to distract us, to divert our attention, to give us a break, to, to, to break it away, you know? And for many of us in situations and all across our world, there's, there's a whole lot of struggle and there's a whole lot of difficulty. And sometimes entertainment is exactly what you need. You know, you just need a break and you need to get some separation. But you know what? In America, interestingly enough, I believe that one of the things we struggle with the most is we have too much distraction, too much diversion. And what we actually need is we need focus. We desperately need 
focus. And not just focus on anything, focus on the right thing. Focus on the right thing. See, what happened in all three of those stories is that these guys were completely oblivious to the real stuff that was going down around them. John the Baptist, the most righteous man that had walked the face of the earth, was sitting in Herod's prison. Is there anyone else up to that time in the history of the earth that they should have more wanted to hear from than John the Baptist. And here he is down in their prison, and instead of going and sitting in front of him saying, teach me, instead he's about to take his head off because they don't understand the reality of what's going on because they're distracted by all of the stuff. And they can't focus in on reality. Belshazzar having a great time. He has no idea that as this party is going on, that the Medes and the Persians are marching in to take them over. He has no idea. He's not in touch with reality. He's distracted. He's diverted. He's not focused in. These people are mocking Samson, these Philistines. Don't they recognize that he was a channel of the power of the living God? And while maybe they had taken his eyes out, they hadn't taken the power of the living God away. And they lost touch because they were diverted. They weren't focused on the right thing. Today, you all, all of us, are blessed. And, you know you may have thought that you weren't going to be here today because yesterday was May 21st, you know? And you, you may have thought that, that because of yesterday, it, you know, we were going to be gone. And probably you weren't surprised that we're still here today. I still prepped my sermon, you know? Um, and, uh, and we all thought we were probably still going to be here. You know what would be surprising is if Jesus returned. And even though we know it's coming, even though the scriptures say it, it would be surprising. You know, last week we talked about the two different kinds of time, chronos time and kairos time. Chronos, physical time, the measurements of time, like days and weeks and months. And that's the physical time that we live within. And God designed this in this earth and used, used that as measurements of our time to hold us accountable to how we use our time. But that the real time, the deeper time, is the kairos time, the spiritual time, God's time. And we talked about how when you put the, the pie in the oven, that in, in our time, it's like the, the pie has to be in for 45 minutes or whatever, but in God's time, it's in until the crust is a little bit brown. Remember we talked about all that? Harold Camping, this past, you know, however long he's been predicting it, was looking at chronos time for when Christ will return. A certain amount of days, a certain amount of months, a certain amount of weeks, even a certain amount of hours, you know. But Jesus does say he'll return. And there are signs of his return. And the signs that he gives aren't largely just about our chronos time. They're actually about kairos time. They're about fulfillment. When you see this happening and when you see that happening, when the crust starts to turn brown, know that the times are changing. And when you look back at Belshazzar and when you look at the Philistines and when you look at Herod, you could kind of tell the kingdom is on a shaky ground. You know, the, the signs of the times, it doesn't look good. Something's about to change. And I'm going to tell you that our society, the signs are ripe for the changing of the tide. And I don't know what it means. I don't know if that means, you know, Jesus is going to return tomorrow man, would it be awesome if he did. You know, that'd be a wonderful thing. But I do know that things aren't going to stay as they have been for long. 
that things are changing right now all around us. There's a shifting taking place. And there's no way you can look at history and look at the scriptures without believing that we are on the verge of significant, major, and terrible change. Big, shifting change. Entertainment diverts our focus. That's the intention. When we're consistently diverted, we don't stay focused on what we need to stay focused on and we can miss what's coming. Now listen, the enemy, it's one of his greatest tactics is diversion. 1 Peter 5.8 says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. I want to read it again. Read this with me, okay? Out loud, with me. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. Things are changing and it's very important that we stay focused and stay focused on the right things. We live in a world of major distraction and diversion. And it's imperative that we stay focused on what it is we need to stay focused on. So before we talk about the value of entertainment, I want to talk about a few dangers in entertainment. Because this is kind of how the enemy works. He wants to use this entertainment to distract us at times. And there's good value in entertainment. But before we get there, I want to talk about the dangers in it, okay? The first is that it can weaken our joy in relationships. God is designed for us to have a great deal of joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Think about that for a minute. What makes us strong when the world shakes around us? What makes us strong in difficult times? What can sustain us when everything else seems to be crumbling? The joy of the Lord is our strength. When I have joy in my relationship with God, what can you steal from me? You can steal anything you want, But you can't steal the joy of the Lord from me because it's not based on my circumstances. It's based on the Lord. You know that when the newest toy comes out, the one that was just a generation before it, all of a sudden seems pretty lame, you know? And the the other example of this is like, uh, if I eat broccoli and grains, you know, whole grains and broccoli, and that's all I eat, and I'm hungry, man, that looks really good. But then if I start eating cheesesteaks and pizza and ice cream, now all of a sudden the broccoli and the grains, they're like, yeah, I guess I should probably eat them. But they're not quite as tasty now, and I don't crave them as much. You know, and it's not, and, and, and I don't have a healthy appetite for it. Psalm 37.4 says this. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what the hardest thing in this world to delight in is? God. The hardest thing in this world to delight in is God. You know what the most fulfilling thing is in this world? Delight in God. The most difficult thing is to find our delight in Him and not in our circumstances. And yet it's the most difficult thing. You know what the easiest things are to find delight in? Click, click, click. That's the easiest thing to find delight in. And you know what the least fulfilling thing is to find delight in? Click, click click. And it's how it works. You know, 
And, and the, the tastiest foods are not often the ones that we need the most. And we need to train our appetites to go after the right food. And the joy that we find, we are designed to be people of joy, but where we find that joy is up to us in how we train ourselves. And if we go for quick pleasure and easy joy, then all of a sudden the deep joy will go missing because we can't get ourselves to do what's necessary in order to attain it. And this isn't just true with God. This is true with families all over the place who could have a wonderful relationship with each other and great time with the kids and great time with the spouses. But instead, we get the easy joy that we don't have to work at in our relationships. And we don't learn how to sit around a table and just enjoy good conversation with each other and have fun laughing and carrying on and doing what relationships were designed to do. You know, be life-giving and wonderful. Instead, we have to have something to supplement it all the time and constantly be entertained because we need the quick fix because it's unsatisfying and yet it's easy. And then we don't learn. We lose the skills of learning how to delight in the Lord and how to delight in each other. And that stuff, it takes discipline and it takes work. Delighting in the Lord is a command. It's not easy. It says, take delight in the Lord and then you'll get the desires of your heart. The reason we're commanded is because it's hard work. We can shape where we get our joy. But if we get it too easily in other places, then all of a sudden the old toy, it doesn't, it's, it's like Buzz Lightyear and Woody doll. You know, it, you know, Woody doll's gone as soon as Buzz Lightyear came in the picture in Toy Story, you know? And that, like God and our relationships with each other, they, they're not that big of a deal when all of a sudden I can get the quick fix. It's, it's harder to, to engage them. Second danger of entertainment that I have here is it can really steal a sense of purpose. Um, God has created us to be in his image. And at the core of who God is, is sacrificial love, agape love. That's the very core characteristic. He has all sorts of characteristics. The very core characteristic, um, First John tells us, God is love. It doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. It's like, it's amazing because, you know, every other uh, time you have a descriptor of, of God, you know, he, he's just. He's not justice. He's just. But then when it gets to love, it's like, he's, he's love. He is love personified. And at the very core of him is love. And this kind of love, the deep kind of agape love, is the kind that doesn't look to the interests of myself, but looks to the interests of others. Which means at the core of who God is, it's not someone who receives, but someone who gives. That's the core of God. That out of him is a constant flow of things coming out toward others, as opposed to the black hole of things coming in toward himself. And we're created in his image. And what Jesus tells us in John chapter 7 is that those of us who put our trust in him and who believe in him, that out of us, streams of living water will flow. So when you go to work, you're a fountain of the living water. So when people are thirsty and in need, they can just be around you and they can drink of the goodness of God just by being near you. That that joy of the Lord that's your strength, that relationship with God, it just overflows out of you. It emanates out of you. You have been transformed from watching God's glory to becoming God's glory. And you now are agents of his glory emanating out of you the goodness and the love of God. And people are drawn just wanting to be near you to receive receive the goodness of God. That's the way our lives are designed to be. That's what's inside this framework for our lives. That's how he made us to be. The problem is when it comes, here's a danger of entertainment is that the danger of entertainment is it teaches us that life is actually about us and about what we receive. See, entertainment at its very definition is to give us something. And every time we entertain ourselves, we're, re- we're in a receiving mode. 
And I'm not saying that there's something wrong with being entertained, but what I am saying is, is when you balance how much we train ourselves to receive and how much we train ourselves to give, it, it'll shape who we are. We might say that life isn't about me, it's about giving to, to the Lord and to others. And yet, if I train myself to be a, a connoisseur of pleasure, I like this show, I don't like that show, I, I like this kind of thing, I don't like that, I like this kind of food, I don't like that, and it's all about what tastes good, and I become very good at nuancing what I like, and I'm very, you know, just really good because I've, I've taken in so much pleasure, I know what I like and what I don't, and that's what, I'm a consumer. And if there's one characteristic that identifies Americans across the board, sociologists, sociologists and, and, and uh, philosophers, whether they're Christian or not, will agree. We're consumers. That's what we are. It's the common characteristic of Americans. We're consumers, which means we're the black hole. We're not the springs of living water that flow out. We're the ones who draw the resources in. And when we engage in massive amounts of entertainment, it just trains us to believe that we're the center, that things come to us, as opposed to what he's told us. A lifestyle of fasting, a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of servitude, a lifestyle of giving, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we know these things in our minds, but how we use our time and what we do with our energies and what we do with our resources will inevitably shape who we are and how we live our lives. The danger is that subtly we can be distracted from our real sense of call, our sense of purpose, where we're no longer engaging in the mission of, of overflowing with God's glory for others. Soon we've kind of been got into this malaise where we're just kind of like, this is nice, and that's nice. And we have the right kind of theology, but it's not really shaping our lives because we're just kind of consuming and, and we've disengaged with our real sense of call and purpose. We've disengaged with the beautiful relationship that's available to us. We don't take joy in the Lord, only in these delights, and then these delights make me think that I'm the center and we get distracted and we can't stay grounded. Third thing is that it can distort our understanding of reality. Uh, Jesus says this in, in John chapter 8, the next chapter. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's designed us to know the truth, to know reality. And that in that reality, we are set free. And reality, truth, is found in these scriptures, right? This is the information. This shapes our reality. Our understanding of reality comes from the word of God. And when we know this word of God, we are set free to live within the framework. Freedom happens in here. In here is freedom. It looks like, oh, there's walls. I'm, I'm, I'm chained in here. This isn't free. That's a total lie. That's only what people think when they're standing out here looking in and saying, you guys are caged in there. You have to obey those stupid laws. That must be terribly dumb. You know? and, and in here, it's like, no, this is freedom. Like, this is how I was meant to live. I, you know, you're having to chase after this and that. And I just have joy. You know, and this is, this is what God designed for me. And my life is full. And in here is truth. And we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And it's defined in his word. The problem is, is that in entertainment all the time, we're taught a false reality. A false reality. We're told about how to be satisfied. About what will give us freedom. We're, we're, we're pitched pictures of romance that aren't actually romance at all. They're based on a faultless reality in a sinful world. It, it, it offers us the pleasures of the flesh without the sin that's connected to it. It says that we can have these romances that are epically perfect as if there's no sin in them. And yet it's meeting a desire that we only have because of sin. 
you know? And so it's this just big, messed up reality. It offers a, a form of justice that's not actually justice. It's actually revenge. It, it shows me that if someone's defi- doing something to offend me, I'll have some way of getting them back and righting the wrong. And I can have a gun sling and, you know, and like I... It feeds this sense in me of what justice is, and it's a false reality. True justice is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, that I have no rights at all, that my right is is to, to be separated from God for all of eternity. That's the right that I have, according to the Scripture. Outside of that, I have no personal rights. But the false reality that is built into me through entertainment is that if someone offends this way, I have the right to get back at them. This way. That's, that's the sense of justice. When it comes to beauty, we yearn for beauty, and God tells us all about what beauty is. He says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And, it's a, and, and we get this picture of beauty that's just terrible. It's based on lust. It's based on the, on the fallen nature. And so we can say that we're differentiated. And we can say, you know, I, I read the scriptures so that I know what the truth is. And when I engage in, in all sorts of entertainment, whatever that entertainment actually teaches me, I can differentiate it. And that's true. And to those who are pure, all things are pure. And God bless you if, if you're able to engage in certain levels of entertainment and keep a differentiated mind. But what ends up happening over time is that if we expose ourselves to a, a certain reality consistently, it will inevitably shape who we are and it'll change us. Okay? Um, and the last thing I, w- I want to say here is that uh, is the, another danger of entertainment is it can really erode our, our clarity of conscience. <clears throat> I have a couple buddies who, it, it kind of breaks my heart. We were in school together um, with Josh. And they, uh, I know one guy who, um, he's really dedicated to the Lord, great friend of ours, and had a real sense of clarity in his conscience. Um, and he got connected in a relationship that was, not a healthy relationship for him um, with a person who didn't hold, share his faith. And over time, you watch that the things that he was really clear about morally, all of a sudden it started to shift and it started to change. And uh, another friend who got himself in a situation where he was surrounded by a whole group of friends in a, in a, in a work environment and in a city where things are difficult, and he, he didn't find a whole lot of real strong Christian influences. And both of these guys, where they used to be in an environment where they were surrounded by believers who studied the Word all the time, and they were drenched with the Word of God and constantly consumed with it, the things that the Scriptures taught were just clear. You know, it was just clear to him. It was black and white. The scriptures teach it. Here's the truth. And what ended up happening is it was kind of like water going over a stone, you know? That the, of course, the stone's stronger, but over time, the water just begins to wear it away. And that's what happened to these guys. And you find that the things that seemed so clear to them, all of a sudden, they're hanging out with these other people who don't have that same framework, and they look at everything entirely different. They're outside of the framework. They look in, and they're like, that's a joke, because they don't understand it from the inside of the truth. And, when, and so when you're trying to understand a picture of people inside the truth when you're standing outside of it, you come up with all sorts of philosophies and you come up with all sorts of explanations that make a ton of sense if you're standing out here. And after a while, when you're hanging out with people who think that way all the time, they start to make sense to you. You know, and, and all of a sudden it's like, maybe I was just naive when I was standing inside the framework. I didn't need to be 
walled in by all of that. I mean, maybe that was just because I was brought up that way and I didn't really realize the truth. And all of a sudden there's these questions I never had before. Well, if that's true, then maybe this is true. And things get a lot more confusing and all of a sudden the truth goes missing. And, and we saw these guys begin to lose their resolve. And, and they started to, first their own morals start to slip. And then, and then you watched even their faith just begin to ebb and their belief system begins to erode like a rock that has the water continually washing over it and changing the shape of it. And, and it's, it's amazing what can happen. And entertainment has this like, amazing ability to, to package things that are immoral in a way that's really appealing. And at first, like, I, and I am so guilty of this. I'll be honest, I am so guilty of it. There will be things that I'm not okay with, and then they'll get me laughing. And once you get me laughing, like, I'm like, I realize that I'll let things slip that I wouldn't let slip before, you know, because I'm like, that's, that's funny, you know? And when it's funny, then I'm like, I'm all, yeah, David says, I will allow no evil thing in front of my eyes. And yet if they make it funny enough, then it's like, well, you know, I know it's not right, but it's really funny, you know? And like, I'm laughing and I'm having a good time. So it's got to be good, right? You know, and there's something good about laughing and God likes laughing and and the joy of the Lord's my strength, except it's not the joy of the Lord. And what's, uh, I think it's uh, Proverbs, yeah, Pro- Proverbs 10.23. It says, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct. A fool finds pleasure in evil, evil conduct. Proverbs also says that the, the, the uh, heart of a fool is in the house of pleasure. And so if, if what, is the, what becomes the moral code is if it's funny enough or if it's cute enough, then I can let it slip because we're not really serious about this thing. We're not really serious about this, about affecting the morality. It's just kind of a joke, and we all know that. It's just entertainment. And what ends up happening is it ends up softening our moral stance. And pretty soon, the way we did think about things, it begins to change. And now all of a sudden, it's only the unenlightened and naive people who can't just accept this uh, you know, and, and get over it. Now all of a sudden, it's, it's the old you know, stuck-in-the-mud people who, who uh, are taking a moral stance. You know? and, and our conscience begins to erode. That's the, the, um, the danger. So I think that when the enemy's coming after us, he, these dangers, I think, are really important to be aware of. God gives us a joy, a way to stay in constant relationship with him. But if we can get these pleasures over here, then we stop having our, our, our joy in God. And then in the moment when we need to hear from God, we're not connected enough. In the same way with the sense of purpose, we, you know, we're, we're, we're to be driven and connected, doing what God's called us to do. But if he can get us over here at a place where we're in a mode of receiving, then in a moment he can steal it from us and he can slide things in that we never saw and so on and so forth down the list. Our reality changes, our conscience changes, and it's exactly what the enemy's trying to do so that in the moment, in the right moment, when things are shaking, that we're not ready, you know? Subtly softens us up for the blow. There's a value to entertainment. Entertainment's not all bad. You know, this is supposed to be God's design for entertainment. Here I am, like, bashing it, you know? But there's a, there's a real value in entertainment. And uh, it would really help if my slide would work here. Here we go. And um, the value of entertainment is that, like we've talked about before, I mean, it, it really can help build relationships. It can help, if we engage in it together, it's almost like a lubrication for the grinding wheels of life. You know, that you need fun times. You need enjoyment. We, at our uh, last white gift service, a Christmas service, we had uh, instant nativity. And a bunch of you were there. And um, 
Harry and Leona, you hear? They came out. Oh, it was so funny. Harry had this big wig on, and Leona, they were both dressed up. We laughed at you guys for a long time, and um, we had a great time. And then Garrett got up, and he was sitting here singing a song, and like. Uh, you know, doing Millie Vanilli thing up here, and it was great. And a bunch of you were like wallflowers and dancing around. And it was this entertainment, and it was a, a, like a nativity set. And we were kind of, you make it up as you go throughout the night. And it was hilarious. I mean, those of you who were here, we were just laughing over and over. It was a great time. And those are like bonding experiences. You build relationships through those. I mean, I had high school buddies who, you know, playing, getting a video game and playing with them. I remember we were playing RBI baseball with a couple of my buddies when we were kids and like just having a great time making fun of each other and like really and it wasn't it was like it was good solid fun you know and there's moments where entertainment is really helpful if kept in the right place and and used in the right way and some of you are very gifted at helping others laugh you know some of you are very gifted at bringing entertainment to the table about making things entertaining and you're not the yeah, you, you need to know, that's not like, okay, here's the godly people, and then over here is the, like, they're the goof-offs. Like, this is a huge part of the kingdom of God, is to have joy in relationship. And if you have that gift, understand it's a gift from God, not for you, but for us. Don't use it sparingly, and don't use it just for yourself to get people to like you. Use that gift to help the body of Christ, because the kingdom of God is, is incredibly serious, as the souls of mankind at stake, the, the shape of our world, eternal destinies, the deepest part of us, it's incredibly serious. And in the middle of it, for us to continue to move forward and to interface appropriately and to have unity, there, there needs to be the court jester, you know? There needs to be the people who help us enjoy one another. And we don't celebrate enough and we don't have enough fun times. If you have an idea of something to do in the church together for us to enjoy it together, by all means, man, put it together and let us party with you and have a great time. You know, that, I wasn't trying to quote a song there. That just kind of happened. And they're really, I mean, if you have that gift, honestly, you need to use it. That's a gift that God gave you for us and don't use it sparingly. But at the same time, as we engage in pleasure, again, that's, a, that's not the main focus. It's a, it's, it's a necessary part of our lives, but it's not what life is all about. The heart of the fool is in the house of pleasures. If what we focus on is pleasures, then it'll be like Ecclesiastes where we're told, I ran after pleasure, trying to find meaning in it, and we found out that this too was meaningless. You know, pleasure doesn't give us meaning. It just helps us when we're going after what we should really be going after. And when the deep relationships, when we're working them out, we need to lighten up and laugh. You know, but this is what Ecclesiastes also says. It says, follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you judgment. So in the middle of our entertainment, it's imperative to know that we are held accountable for what kind of things are in front of our face, what kind of things we're engaging in. And so as we think through that, I want to I have us uh, just give you a few questions here to ask you and your family to ask one another as you engage in entertainment, okay? The first one is this. Is this building the kingdom? Is there anything about this entertainment that's actually building the kingdom of God? 
Now, I don't mean, is, is there prayer in it? Are we reading scripture together? Is there like, you know, some, is this a holy thing? You know, I don't mean that. I just mean, is there some sort of value in this? Or is it just like kind of like mindless nothing? Am I just doing it to fill some time, to blow some time here? Or is there actually something deeper in it? Is it helping? It, there's this picture in the Psalms about the, uh, about the uh, Israelites had been taken over and their enemies uh, have them outside of Zion. And Zion's in rubble and it says, and, the, and their enemies say to him, play us one of your songs. And it, I, when I hear that, it just breaks my heart because, you know, songs are designed for purposes, right? I mean, here we hear the band and it's to, to help our hearts draw closer to God. In a moment when we have people over for dinner and you might have some nice jazz playing, it's kind of to set the mood, to have like a, a good time around the dinner. Maybe you're having a romantic night with your spouse and there's certain music that you have that's, you know, kind of creating an ambiance. And, or maybe you're having some fun with your friends and you have good music and it's kind of a party atmosphere. There's purposes. Music helps us on these levels. But if you just take the song and take it out of context and you just put it on the radio and you, and you just start playing it just because you want some noise and want some entertainment, it loses its value. And then when you come into worship, all of a sudden music doesn't do the same thing for us anymore. And if we use our, our entertainment in inappropriate ways just to fill space, it loses its value. There's nothing kingdom. It's not actually helping. It's not lubricating anything. It's just distracting us. So, so ask that question as you engage in entertainment. Is this building kingdom? Second is, what is this costing us? What is it costing us? Time, money, whatever. What's it costing us? You know, how much do the scriptures say on entertainment? Not much. That should say something to us. Don't you think? That the scriptures don't say much about entertainment? I mean, it says a lot about money. And... Because we need to engage in money. We have to. But how much does it say about entertainment? Not a whole lot. Should it really be that much more in our lives? It should be a thing that happens here and there to help us out. But should it be this big thing? You know? And entertainment, how big is it in our world? It's gigantic. I, my brother and I took a, you know, he used to live over in uh, Bangladesh. And I've been over, I, I was over to visit him once. And then we went back another time for a trip together. And when I was over there, you know, at the time, I don't know if it still is, Bangladesh was, uh, it was the poorest country in the world at the time. And we got over and we were in the capital city of Dhaka. And there was this guy who was a blacksmith, really skilled. He was a, a really gifted blacksmith. And we, he asked us to come back to his home and have dinner with him. And we went to his home and his home was about um, not a whole lot bigger than that house right there. Um, it, was the, it, was, uh, it was only about this high. Um, and it was maybe, maybe about this big. Right here, that's about it. His whole home had his bed in it, had a kitchen in it, had what they used for a bathroom in it, all in this small space. And he had five kids, he and his wife and five kids in that spot. And when we came in, walked in, and they made us a meal, and they were as joyful as can be. But I remember walking in and looking around and just being like, whoa, you know? And then I look around, and there's this big TV in there, you know? And I was like, Wow, I did not expect to see that. Like, that was just mind-blowing to me. Like, in this small space and the amount of poverty that was there, and yet there's this TV there. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And they were, they was, they were watching a, a, a football, a soccer game on it, you know. It was British Premier League. And I was like, wow, that's Chelsea right there. You know? And it was amazing. I, I, it blew my mind. And it's amazing how pervasive entertainment is in our world and just how much a part of our lives and our world it has become. And yet the Scriptures, it's such a minimal thing in Scripture. 
And I think that the ratio is really important to check. How much is this costing me? Like literally, how much is it costing me to, to get cable and high def and whatever? How much is it costing me? How much time is it taking? You know, how, and, and in ratio, I'm not saying like it, we shouldn't pay for this or we shouldn't spend time in this, but the ratios of our lives, we really got to watch the ratios of our lives and say, how much is this actually costing us? It costs a lot. Sometimes the entertainment is like a black hole for families. It costs a lot of money. It takes a ton of time. The family could be doing this and that, and instead it's consumed with entertainment. We just got to ask ourselves the question, how much is this actually costing us? Another question. What are we being taught? And this, we've already talked through this, but we have, to, we have to be really careful. I want you to hear this scripture from Hebrews 4, uh, 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I want to read it again. Solid food is for the mature, who because of their practice have their senses trained to discern what is good and evil. Again, one of the questions we often ask is, is this okay or not? Like, can I get away with this or not? As opposed to being in a situation where we're saying, I want the good, solid food. I'm not just asking if there's too many calories in this thing. I'm asking, is this good for my body? Will this bring nourishment to me? And in the same way, in my soul, in my spirit, I'm not just asking, what can I get away with? I'm saying, what's the good stuff to input into my spirit and into my mind? I'm not yearning for what I can get away with. That's actually saying, I want what the world has to offer, and I'm wondering what the boundaries are that God's putting in place as opposed to saying, what does God have to offer and how can I find the best of it? And that's what we should be asking. You know, we should be asking like, what am I being taught? Is there good stuff that's helping me in the middle of this? Entertainment doesn't have to be mindless and, and, and just dumb filling my mind with all sorts of junk. We can actually be looking like what's quality stuff to learn in here, you know, to gain in it. All right. How does this affect others? This is one that we rarely think about and is really important. Really important when it comes to entertainment. Uh, what kind of entertainment I engage in isn't just about how it affects me. It's about how it affects those around me. If I engage in certain kinds of entertainment, how does this affect my spouse? How does this affect my family? How does this affect the other people at church? How does it affect those who are seeing me and, and watching me engage in this kind of activity? What kind of perception do they have? Even All things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. Because again, the purpose of my life is not just to serve me, it's to serve others. And so therefore, is this thing that I'm engaging in at all affecting them in an inappropriate way? And if it is, whether or not they have the right mindset or not, it doesn't matter. Because it's not just about whether I'm satisfied. It's about whether I'm helping them in the process. And so am I affecting them positively? You know, Jen and I, if, if we watch a show, we'll, we'll put the kids to bed and then we'll watch a show. And, and I always think in that moment, well, we could watch things now that are, are incredibly inappropriate for our kids. And yet, you know, we're adults and we can handle it. And there's a level of that that's true. I mean, there's things that are for kids and things that aren't for kids. But there's also another level that says, if I'm allowing this stuff to enter into my home and into my mind and in my family, it's going to affect who we are. And it's going to affect, even if my kids aren't watching this stuff, just by allowing it to be in my home and be in my spirit even, it's going to affect them. That's the way it works. And so I got to be careful how what I engage in and what I do and, and what kind of activity I'm in, how that affects those around me. It's really important to be thinking that through. And uh, so the, the last thing um, is 
are we in God's presence in the middle of this? I mean, God is, you know, he's omnipresent. But is God actually engaged in this with me? Where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. So if I'm watching TV with my wife, I should actually be watching it with God, right? Isn't that how it works? Oftentimes what Jen and I will do is before we watch a show, we'll hold hands and we'll pray and we'll just say, hey God, we thank you so much for our TV. We thank you for the entertainment that we're blessed with. The same way we would say thank you for the food. You know, thanks for this. We appreciate it. And we, th- we thank you that you're here with us. And as we're watching this, if there's something that you, like, you don't feel like watching, let us know. Because if you're not going to be watching it, we don't want to watch it. We want to be with you, you know? And so, like, let us know. And, and otherwise, I hope you're laughing when we're laughing, you know? And we want to watch this together. And we engage in it. We set boundaries when it comes to how much it's costing us. You know, we set boundaries around how much we watch each week. And, uh, and, and we do that for our kids, and we do it for us. We, you know, Jen and I watch a grand total of two hours of TV a week, and we watch two half-hour shows and an hour show. You know, and we, that's what we do. You know, we set a boundary. We think that's an appropriate amount where it's like there's a few nights where we... And I, we don't try to be, like, super rigid about it, but we do have to be disciplined about it because, again, things just slip. When it's easy, if you're not careful... Things just change, and it starts to absorb you. And if you don't draw some boundaries, uh, there's no black and whites around this stuff. There's, it's not all that clear, but there is a sense in which we need to say, I'm going to draw some boundaries, and I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to make first things first. You know? And um, I, I want to read, I, I read some statistics to you, and then I'm going to close this out, okay? You know, you've probably heard some of these statistics, but they're, they're kind of staggering. These were done almost a... a a decade ago by the Nielsen Company, AC Nielsen Company. The average American watches more than four hours of TV each day or 28 hours a week. That's two months of nonstop TV watching per year. In a 65-year life, that person will have spent nine years glued to the tube. Number of hours per day that TV is on in the average U.S. home is six hours and 47 minutes. The percentage of Americans that regularly watch television while eating dinner is 66%. That was a decade ago. Number of minutes per week, this is pretty amazing, number of minutes per week that parents spend in meaningful conversation with their children. 3.5 minutes per week that parents spend in meaningful conversation with their children. Number of minutes per week that the average child watches television, 1,680. Percentage of four to six-year-olds, this, this is the one that I'm determined not to cry. I, uh, I cried in first service over this one. The percentage of four- to six-year-olds who, when asked to choose between watching TV and spending time with their fathers, preferred television, 54%. There's just something so wrong with us (laughs) as a society. This is one of those cultural sins about who we are that has messed with us at the core. And there's something deeply wrong with us. Hours per year, the average American youth spends in school is 900 hours. The hours per year, the average American youth watches television, 1,500 hours. Um, I I could go on, but there's no point. You get the picture, and we all know it anyway. Um, I'm just killing us with these stats, (laughs) you know. Uh, But the truth is, is that it's overwhelming how much Uh, entertainment shapes us more than education does, more than relationships do when it comes to our society at large in in America. And it's a sad, sad day. And the thing is, is that it's all a diversion. It's all a distraction. And people slam Hollywood. and uh, It's not Hollywood. It's us. You know, Hollywood does what sells. You know, 
And the reason it sells is because our hearts yearn for to be distracted because we don't want to be focused on the right things. The enemy has his heyday when he finds out how to divert our attention and he diverts it by baiting us and hooking us with the very things that our hearts desire. It's not Hollywood's fault. It's not really even the enemy's fault. It's our fault. But the enemy walks around like a a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he just mostly wants to distract us and divert our attention at this point. Now listen, this is the deal. It is happening. Hebrews tells us that once God shook the earth and things changed and everything changed. And when you look at Belshazzar, his kingdom was shaken. And when you look at the Philistines, their kingdom was shaken. And you look at King Herod and things were shaken. And when it comes to our lives and our world right now, things are shaking. And when we're diverted and when we're constantly attached to the, 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 the shifting all around us by being plugged in primarily in an entertainment consumeristic way, what ends up happening is when the, when the boat is moving and shifting and we're firmly planted on that boat, we don't really start to notice just how much it's moving anymore because we're kind of part of it. But when we stand firm on the rock of Christ... Then when the world is shaking around us, we start to see the signs of the time. Where are we investing? Where is our focus? Are we holding on? Are we ready? Are we alert? Are we aware? I'm going to have you stand with me as we close by reading our passage for the day. This is from the message translation, which I hardly ever use in here, but it was said so well, I I, uh, wanted to read from the message, okay? This is uh, in 1 Peter. If you listen better with your eyes closed, feel free to just close your eyes. I'm going to read it. If you do better while reading along, you can look up and read along. So roll up your sleeves and put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way, but don't forget, He's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought, even though it was only lately at the end of the ages, becomes so public. God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. Now that you have cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. 
That's why the prophet said, the old life is a grass life. Its beauty is short-lived as wildflowers. Grass dries up, flowers droop. God's word goes on forever. This is the word that conceived the new life in you. Amen? Here's the deal. As we go throughout our week, we don't want to be distracted. The kingdom of God is at hand. Unlike Belshazzar, unlike Herod, and unlike uh, the Philistines, we want to be ready when the moment is revealed. On point, sharp, and ready. Minds focused. God is moving. There are moments to seize that are beautiful moments. Unless we're not ready, then they're terrible. Keep your guard up. Keep your mind focused. Enjoy life with your family and with your church and with each other. Have a great time, but always remember to keep the guard up. Let's pray.